0: Hi there, this is 76 West, a podcast from the Lambert Center for Arts and Ideas at the Marlene Meyerson JCC Manhattan. I'm Jason Blitman, and this spring we're talking about sustainability and the earth. Though I should have had an allergist on the podcast because I don't know about you, but my allergies are kicking my butt these days. She is nothing like an allergist, but on today's episode, I talk to the incredible Preeti Gopinath the founding director of the newly launched Textiles MFA program at Parsons School of Design at the New School. I first met Preeti a little over a year ago. We had a Zoom meeting to talk about a potential in-person event that never came to be, but she was so cool and our conversation was so interesting that I knew I needed to bring her on this podcast. Preeti is an educator, textile designer, product developer, and marketing professional with extensive international experience in the area of creative design for home and apparel textiles. She has over 20 years of international experience in the textiles industry, but she's also a Bharatanatyam dancer, an actor, and a philosopher. I said she's so cool. And now here's my conversation with Preeti Gopinath. I'm so happy to see you again.
1: Likewise. How are you?
0: I'm good. Thank you. How are you?
1: Good. We both survived COVID. We did. So, so far. Have you done a podcast before? I don't think so. I think I've talked a lot, but it's not one-on-one for a podcast.
0: So we're here to talk about textiles and sustainability. When I think of a textile, I just think fabric. Is it that simple? Can, what, can you like break down what a textile is.
1: Yes, I wish. I've been hoping someone would ask me this question for (laughs) so many years. And I will say it isn't as simple as that, yet it is. So when we think about cloth, for instance, or fabric, that is what a textile is. But if we had to define it in the nerdy sense of a fabric science teacher in me, I would say it's a material or a cloth that originated from a fiber, so when a fiber is twisted into yarn or spun into yarn and then either woven or knitted into cloth then you've got a fabric. So the starting point is as important to the cloth mm. as to the user of the cloth.
0: Is there something that people often mistake as a textile? Or no Not really. Just because it's a like, lot of things really start Now from-
1: there are new materials that people often ask can we call it a textile it's the reverse actually oh, interesting. a lot of materials are now being called textiles and that's a hard one to answer because it's it does tend to reference this point that textiles come from fiber right so there are materials that don't come from fiber anymore behave like textiles or are cloth right? Fabrics. So do we then call them textiles? And the answer is yes.
0: You started the MFA textiles program or just in general, the textiles program? The
1: MFA textiles program, which happens to be the textiles program in the school of fashion at Parsons. So it's the famous fashion design school in, in this country and around the world. Everyone remembers Project Runway and Tim Gunn and all of those associations. And it's As the school of fashion grown and evolved, even in how it thinks about fashion, inclusivity and doing issues around colonization, all of that involves, underneath it all, textiles. When you talk about fashion, people tend to forget you need the cloth to make the garment.
0: Where did the passion for fashion or for textiles come for you? How did you get to textiles?
1: This was not a hard leap. It's an easy skip and jump for me. I grew up in India. I was born and raised in India. And my mother put on a sari every morning. Putting on a sari is watching somebody get into a formal gown that looks so beautiful and drapes so well. But she literally takes six yards of fabric, folds it, wraps it, cleats it, drapes it. And tada, she's dressed for the day. So just watching her put on the sari every morning, I would just watch in awe. And she had the most beautiful fabrics. And in India, we took those for granted. They were one of a kind, woven at six yard lengths with borders and patterns and hand detailing which now that I'm older and wiser and trained in the world of textiles, no, oh my God, the awesomeness that goes into the crafting of a textile is mind-blowing. And soon after, I ended up rebelling against the good old institution of parental advice, of doing or engineering or accounting or you know, as a good Indian kid should do. And my rebellion was to go to a design school. So, I went to the top design school in the country. That was because it was the top design school in the country, I got away with it.
0: Right. So, you have fallen in love with textiles. And I didn't realize that, first of all, there's 92 million tons of textile waste in excess material in this world, in this country, but also didn't realize that dyeing fabric. Is the second leading cause of ocean pollution.
1: Yes, and we only see the little plastic stories and the oil stories. This is true. There are red rivers flowing through many cities and towns and countrysides in the world where we have now put into the backyards of other countries. This country, the United States, doesn't produce that much of traditional textiles anymore. In fact, when I moved to the West was the time... Production houses were stopping here because it was cheaper now to produce in the land I came from. All of a sudden, I'm the wrong person in the wrong place. <laughs> so I was—I came here in time to be the on the cutting edge of technology and textiles, so CAD and computer-aided design and things. So coming from a craft and industry background that was more traditional, I landed. When CAD technology was taking off, I guess I'm dating myself by saying I'm one of the first CAD textile designers in this part of the world. Or no anywhere. one needs to know how
0: long ago. Maybe it was two years ago. What do we know?
1: Yes, yeah, so young. Textiles keeps me young. And so it was a big shift. But it also allowed me the perspective to look back and appreciate all that craft Technology that exists, centuries and legacies of textile making from cultures all over the world, including my own, that got slowly diminished, hidden, destroyed through mechanization and industrialization. And we are seeing it across the world. So now the industrialized countries are benefiting from old third world countries. They're no longer third world, they've jumped and left ahead of some of the first world countries of the past, but those are the countries that are now producing all our textiles for us. China has completely given up its craft to produce industrial scale textiles for us. So the chemistry involved in dyes and coloring of textiles is fascinating for me. I love that part of it. Who doesn't like to see a chemical reaction where you add something to something else and poof, new color, right? It's magic, The The new
0: color. I feel like we've all done the volcano experiment when we were a kid.
1: Your lava lamps. Yeah. Think about all of these color changing things. I loved my chemistry practicals class or lab work because you would see what happened to sulfur if, what happens when you add acid to something, right? The irony is if you look back historically, it is on the back of textiles that most colonization happened. So if you look at India, that's what Indians were able to do. One, produce most luxurious handmade cotton textiles. Two, they had also figured out how to dye it because cotton doesn't like to take color. But to make a red textile like this with a natural dye required some secret chemistry knowledge underneath it. And they used their natural resources that could be local plants urine from a cow manure, local soils, local waters, a particular river's water had a particular pH, right? So all of these things were natural to the country that was ancient enough in terms of culture and civilization to have developed really outstanding dyeing techniques, printing techniques, and color affinities for fabric. So it was a nice place to go and start doing business, which is how the East India companies would come in. And when the East India company, the British one, went belly up, it went bankrupt within 100 years, the British government, the monarchy, took over. And so it was the first bailout. Nobody talks about it, but the East India company went bankrupt and was bailed out by the government. And the government, in taking over the companies took over the country thought, oh, we might as well take over the country, why just this? That's the beginning of colonization in India. Now, if you look at America, colonization was what? You had the indigenous people who were producing whatever textiles they did, and then cotton, we had the ideal soil and water systems to grow cotton. And why were the slaves brought from Africa to work the cotton plantations? Now, all of that has had its history and its culture. So, oftentimes, you'll see many civilizations were suppressed or overpowered through colonization on the back of textile workers and to plunder for textiles.
0: Wow. Those are just not the sorts of things that you learn in no. history.
1: No. The history of America, right? If you think about the history of jazz music, blues. It came out of. The cotton fields, again, it's textile. So that's why when we talk about textile, we're talking about the fiber, even. It is so intrinsic to living. And I like to say textiles are so ubiquitous, I would say, to our daily life, that when something shifts there, it's actually very big in its impact. Whether if you change a fiber in a garment, whether you change how something is produced, it impacts the world all the way right up to pollution. And that impacts all our conversations around sustainability in terms of water, in terms of the air, in terms of the soil, in terms of the earth, in terms of all the farming that goes into place.
0: The way we talk about the pieces of our lives, we talk about the patchwork of our lives, the fabric of our lives, the things that make up our life. right? We use textile even as a metaphor to talk about how we live. And we're wearing textiles every day.
1: You shower, there's a shower curtain, there's a towel, there's a bath mat, you wipe your face with it, your kitchen towel, your dishcloth. It is everywhere. So part of what I'm doing at Parsons in the MFA Textiles program is having figured out how intrinsic it is to our lives, I figured if I want to make a change in the world or if we need to, we can do it through this medium of textiles. We just change a chemical involved in the dyeing of a material. If we just change the type of production facility for fiber manufacturing, we just change one small little thing that nobody's thinking about while wearing, sleeping, wiping their face, right? You can change huge amount of things in people's lives. You can change well-being. You can bring beauty into somebody's life. You can talk about social justice through textiles.
0: Is it really that simple? Yeah. Can you give it's, an example of what one of those but not easy.
1: changes? It's simple but not easy. We can change our hair color, right? It's easy to change our hair color. It's a simple thing, but it will change our whole look, our whole appearance. It's as simple as changing that fiber. So I will tell you, I have students who've just recently graduated who are working with what we call biomaterial. So if you think about the fashion world, I'm just naming the fashion world since I inhabit that space a lot more than the other parts. There's so much plastic in use. So if you think about just a shirt you're wearing, you have plastic buttons, right? Guaranteed.
0: I currently have plastic buttons.
1: You might have metal sets.
0: I'm going to I'm going to take this off just I want I'm curious to read the tag and see while just while we're talking about it
1: the plastic buttons again nobody thinks twice about it so there's plastic in the zippers on every garment that has zippers if not metal but plastic is essentially replaced all of this all of that plastic what if you were to throw your shirt away your shirt is fantastic made from cotton it will biodegrade not pollute the environment But the plastic buttons last thousand years, you and I will be dead and gone. But those buttons will live forever. While they're doing that, they will also start slowly degrading. So they will leach chemicals into the soil, which leak the water tables, which we will then drink or the fish will consume and we will consume the fish. We're so interconnected, we lose awareness of all of that. So it's this some of the work that's being done in our studio is people are developing what are called bioplastics. So entirely made from biological material, not fiber. By replacing the materials we would typically use in the fashion industry with materials that are biodegradable, that will degenerate and go back into the earth without harming it, which is what nature does so well. So if we can take a piece of nature, bring it into our world, use it for its time, and then send it back into the earth. That's how we exist in nature. That's nature's plan, right? That is the system that is sustainable.
0: I just saw an article recently where scientists discovered the mushrooms will eat and consume plastics or something like that to regenerate very interesting how we're trying
1: pre- to develop that we are working with plastics mm. less plastics but more nylon with yarns and seeing some of the students are testing to see if mycelium will like the nylon yes, mycelium that's right yeah their preference is for natural materials sure so they will consume that which makes sense right again nature will dissolve itself not- that
0: should be our preference too but
1: Yes. So amongst the other materials that are in play other than mycelium right now with mycelium, you get a brick or you get a blob, right? You can shape it, but it has a life of its own. And fascination is to watch it. Now to control it, to get what we want from it is still research and play. And there's some really beautiful experiments going on beyond the artistic, but also what can we do with mycelium? Because it is a living organism that's continuously living. Mm -hmm. So should we be interfering in its life? Again, ethical questions, philosophical questions to ask. But so far, we don't see any harm in it. But the other material is algae, kelp, seaweed. A lot of my students have been using kelp and seaweed and various formulations of it to create bioplastics. They are 100% biodegradable. And a recent graduate of ours, I should tell you about her work. She has been able to dye the... Algae. She makes beads from them, one bead at a time. And then she makes marvelous pieces of art and fashion with beadwork as lace. Wow. But her beads themselves are so phenomenal. She's been able to dye them one with bacteria, with luminescence protein from jellyfish. So they glow in the dark, they will absorb light and glow in the dark
0: that is so cool and insane that can exist from nature
1: you are manipulating right we are taking the extracting the protein so that part is there but it is not going to pollute sure and so now the question is, of course, she's made these beautiful pieces, but really will blow your mind to see these beads and the beadwork that she's made with it. So they are textiles. She's actually represented them as textiles. Then the question immediately that we meet as we are, as she is inventing these things is, oh, now how do we scale it up?
0: I was just going to ask how long does each right? bead take to make? And then how can, how do right. you scale something like that?
1: So when you're inventing, if you think about scaling, you will never invent. (laughs) So our space, in our innovation, it's a capitalistic question, right? It is a commercialization question. But nobody, when they're inventing, thinks of scaling. They first, and innovation often happens at that cusp of, I don't know what's going to happen. If you knew already, then innovation is not happening. It's something that exists that's being tweaked. But when brand new inventions and innovations and discoveries are being made, you have to be just open for what those materials will show they can do. So there is a bit of magic and mystery in innovation that we always need to leave room for. And that's when you're able to find something new that isn't already in play or to take something further. You can try directing your attention But you need to innovate by allowing magic to happen.
0: To take us back just for a second, because I also read that it's between 200,000 and 500,000 tons, grams, something of microplastics enter the marine environment each year. And that's because that's how, as you described, throwing away our clothes particles seeping into the environment, that sort of thing. It is because plastics are in the clothing that we wear and we're discarding of them that causes that, not because it's not about the process. Does that make sense?
1: There's a combination of things. It's a very good question. The microplastics that are being spoken of are coming out of the clothing we wear that have very specific advantages. Human beings are awesome, genius creatures. Right. We are able to see a problem and try to fix it and find really good solutions to it. So our heart is always in the right place when we go in to solve problems. What comes out of that process may not always be all good. Why did we get into genetic engineering? It was so that we get good crops, so that the crops are healthy. then we don't realize what the effects of our interfering in a genetic manipulation of a plant is, it affects the environment, the bees, the butterflies are all affected by that change in the flower or the seed or all of that. So we go in with really good intentions to do something really good, but the results then will give us some problems which we then have to address. So that's how we look at microfibers and microplastics. We invented microfibers so that we could we don't need to use silk right we get such fine fibers that feel smooth and luxurious and soft and silky and you don't have to kill poor old silkworm for this right that's another way of looking at it so when we make microfibers we are getting really supple soft silky fabric we're all wearing it because it's feels so good. Now, that's made from polyester. And those microfibers, the polyester or nylon, they're synthetics. They start off as petrochemicals or byproducts from the petrochemical industry. They were in all invented to replace silk.
0: Speaking of, to answer the question, it, yes. this is it's 98% cotton and 2% spandex.
1: Very good. So much of it will biodegrade.
0: Okay. But it also has buttons.
1: It has buttons. We can think about what dyes were used. So there's chemistry there. And I could scare the bejesus out of you right now by saying the dye stuff, you don't know what the dye is, right? And many of these dyes are carcinogenic chemicals. (laughs) And we don't think about, was this a carcinogenic color on my skin? But many of them are. When you have. She
0: says with a smile on her face.
1: That's what I said. I don't know if I should scare the living daylights out. No, this is
0: all really good to know because I think, really, at the end of the day, these are not things that we're thinking about.
1: When we wash or launder our clothes, the microfibers go into the water table. They're so fine. They go through all filtration systems. Even so, when we dry our clothes, we see the lint, right? Those are the bigger fibers that are trapped in our lint collector Mm. but think of when you were washing if fibers break away whatever water got drained out of your washing machine is going through the drain into where into somewhere on the in the earth right it's just grounded probably
0: Uh, and you also said we use microfibers to get softer clothes and the more you wash your clothes and dry your clothes the less soft they become
1: that's right so all of these again we who doesn't want smooth clothes shiny clothes, silk-like clothes, right? And
0: And so after you wash it a few times and it's not soft anymore, what do you do? You get rid of it.
1: And it's polyester. Now it's not even going to dissolve into the earth. Right. So the beauty of polyester and nylon, and this is why I don't always condemn those materials because they are often the bad boys of the textile world only because they do not biodegrade. And also because they're produced from gasoline products and gasoline is a limited resource. So they have a bad reputation. On the other hand, once they are made, they last forever. So you don't need to be involved in a fast fashion cycle that we all get caught up in where we have to change our clothes every six months or three months or two months, because that polyester shirt will last you for your lifetime, your kids and your grandkids right? But we will never consider a polyester shirt or a jacket as an heirloom. We should. If we did, they would last forever. You've now got a sustainable system. It's not polluting.
0: Wow. Oh, that's really interesting.
1: That's another way to consider. So material, when we use material, do we want to use it for bandages which we want to throw away after uh, use we don't want it to be reused so then bandages maybe should be made of biodegradable materials Mm. but something like clothing which is part of protection and from weather and environment and okay fashion looking good how can we wear it in several ways and looking different several with different iterations instead of throwing it off And starting over. I think the statistic is about 15% of clothing is recycled or repurposed. The rest goes into landfill. No matter how good we think we've been, 15%. It's a lot of waste going into landfills, right? And a lot of the time we get away with, oh, where is it going? It's being sent away to countries like in Africa. So they have to deal with our trash. And then what do they do with it? They may reuse it many times because culturally they know how to recycle and repurpose and upcycle. But eventually it's going to land on their soil, in their earth, which right now is pretty pure. We're monsters. With good intentions. Again, that's what I'm saying. We're always thinking, how can I fix this problem? And then we create another bad one. And so... I think the point is we need to just be conscious and aware. And like I said, if sustainable means more than just something that's biodegradable, it is looking at, as you rightly said, looking at rivers, looking at water, looking, therefore, at chemistry of dyes. A lot of printing is done, a lot of finishes that we use. Let's say a simple thing like cotton normally wrinkles. If you wash it, it comes out wrinkled. But these days we get wrinkle-free cotton shirts, wrinkle-free cotton sheets. What's the magic there? Somebody thought long and hard and created a beautiful system where you don't need to iron and none of us iron these days, right? I know. What was the magic? So a wrinkle resistant finish is applied. Now the wrinkle resistant finish is usually formaldehyde. Now formaldehyde is a known carcinogen, right? Mm-hmm. And if it's a known carcinogen, which the industry has tried, has been trying to say it's not, but it is, it's there for... Something we should consider. Yeah. Would you rather iron or cancer?
0: Just thinking about getting rid of our clothes, it would be so interesting for, here's my million dollar idea for you, for your students. What... (laughs) what is like the second use if, if clothes came with a second intention. So it's like, once the crotch starts ripping on your jeans that you overwear, this is what you can do. Now you like rip it apart and then you do this and it becomes a bag.
1: That's right. That is the world of upcycling.
0: But if there was like a system in place that encouraged that and it came with instructions and it came with the safety pins to make it or whatever it was, we need the IKEA directions to do it.
1: Yes, absolutely. And I think a lot of thought is going into this. There are people on the forefront, especially in the world of education, we see it a lot. Again, That's not my
0: million dollar idea, but and it's
1: a brilliant one. All I'm saying is just like you said, as you get quilting kits, right? Yes, exactly. Right. Able to get, yeah, absolutely. It's a great idea. I
0: a quilting kit where you use
1: your own imagination fabric. That's right. My mother uses all my dad's t-shirts as mopping cloths. Oh yeah. To offend him initially when she would wait for. Are you done with this? <laughs> culturally if we could think about as kids if it's ingrained into you to repurpose and reuse and then iron and enjoy the quiet meditative aspect of ironing right any chore if you look at it can become meditative and mindful as an action as a practice
0: let's create the soul cycle of ironing so you go to a place there's calming music on and you just are slowly ironing (laughs) And whoever does that. Great
1: idea. I think if we called it ironing yoga, it'll be a hit.
0: But truly though, it's so funny because that is our culture. We like need the fad in order to make it that's right. Okay. So what makes or what can make a textile sustainable? Like what is that journey? I know that there's not like a
1: no, I will start with awareness, right? Uh, Awareness of where the material comes from, how it's produced where it's going to be used where how it what function it will serve and then the most important how it'll be discarded at the end of its life that is the part no consumer thinks about that is often the part no producer thinks about and that is the part we need to refocus our attention to know the starting point and to know end of life for that product
0: for a consumer who yeah. You just talked about being busy, not having time. For a consumer who doesn't have it in them to do research about a company, where things started, where things are going, is there something that somebody could look for in a store, on a tag, and know immediately, have a little bit more information than having to Google or something like that? What should we be looking for as a consumer?
1: There's no easy answer. There's no short answer. The only tag information you get in your clothing is what the fiber is, the fiber content, like you said, you saw it was cotton and spandex and maybe the country of origin. Where Bangla- it
0: was- Bangladesh was the shirt
1: that I had. Yeah. But you don't know where the cotton was grown. Mm-hmm. not know where the yarn was made. You do not know where the dyes were done. You don't know what the dyes are. Hmm. You don't know. We have no information on those tags, and it's not mandated by law. So you don't know what right. issues are.
0: Well, because we're also not even thinking about the sustainability part. Also comes from the resources and the labor and how they're made. Correct. It's like such a long Correct. line Correct. of sustainability of what the of just the process in general. You so brought it,
1: up a really good point, which is labor, and it's the part that is unseen. And in our multiple factories in films, sweatshops that are no longer sweatshops—they're beautifully arranged factories. But you don't know what hours those people are working, you know. How much you they're getting paid. I guess my answer to everything is just think about it, try and bring awareness, try to ask questions, good questions. But at the point of when we're buying clothes, it's very hard. It's already been through too much to know. Yeah. Wow. You can look at a rug and they now have tags that tell you no child labor was involved. That was a big thing, right? Child labor in a lot yeah. of these shops and also in rug making facilities. But there's another side to no child labor. You now lose the craft. Because hmm. master crafts person became a master crafts person because they started when their hands were small, working with dad on the loom, learning the technique. So it's so many years of apprenticeship that now is no longer allowed. So you're losing the craft. So sustainability of a craft system, for instance, mm. what does that mean? So I think there are NGOs working on how do we bring education into these spaces without removing the craft knowledge.
0: And something about the sustainability of a craft of making, of yes. history, of family.
1: Skills and heritage.
0: Heritage oh. is the word I was looking for. Right. exactly. The sustainability of legacy, of all tied together, and in turn, the sustainability of the earth, which we need in order to check all the other boxes. <laughs> I love this so much because we have not talked about, but you're also a philosophy professor. Oh, this is true. What a perfect moment of philosophy.
1: The good part about philosophy is awareness, right? Bottom line is how do you bring consciousness to bear? And I'd leave it at that in terms of when we ask the question, it's who am I and what am I and what is my purpose? And I love Joseph Campbell's. <laughs> line. It's, it's, we're not looking for meaning. We're looking for the experience of living. And that is so true. I think if we experience living, think about the moments where really, happy, it's when we're connected, when we're connected to people, when we're connected to music, when we're connected to art in some way, when we learn something, it all has to do with awareness. What is happiness? That's what we're looking for. We want to live happily and wisdom can be defined as the knowledge that allows you to live truly and happily.
0: Um, And I imagine your experience in the philosophy impacts your work in textiles for all of the reasons that you're saying right now.
1: Entirely. Each feeds off the other. And because it's important to know and to know is to bring awareness to something. And then to know is to also want to share. So naturally forces me to be a teacher. (laughs) I I rebelled against it. I come from a family of academics and I said, I'm going to be in the industry. But then I realized one person changing the industry is much harder than one person influencing education to change through multiple people.
0: That brings me to one of my last questions, which I've been asking everyone in this sort of series. What do you say to someone when they feel like one small change doesn't have a big impact?
1: You're wrong. Know that anything you do with bringing your consciousness to bear, small or large is just a relative term, but consciousness is absolute. Right? So in the world of relativity, if you can do something absolutely, then you're putting your absolute attention on the smallest thing. And a small little wave is part of that large ocean, right? You take a few grains of salt and put it into a glass of water. It is now salty. It makes a big change. As the smallest step in the right direction, you can influence a movement, right? You can inspire movement and change.
0: That's such a great example. It just takes a tiny bit of salt in a wasp for the water to taste salty.
1: And as you're repeating it, though, I'm thinking I should have said sugar. It would have been a more enticing metaphor.
0: <laughs> That's okay. No, I even still, I only put a little milk in my coffee. It does the trick. Oh, it's the same sort of thing.
1: It's, yes. And you're right. You're right. You're articulating it, right? A little will go along. And if you doing something small is seen and somebody else feels, I can think differently because I saw Jason do that or Preeti's doing something weird over there in that corner. You know, what, why, maybe I'll try is the beginning of two people doing it,
0: right? Now it's really incremental change.
1: If we just think about it, every time we go in for a little retail therapy as to what we're doing, do we need that one more thing? And if we do and we're throwing something else out, where is that going? Just that little thought, will maybe give us pause or maybe give us a moment to contribute differently so it just changes reactionary behavior to responsive behavior so we're not doing knee jerk reactions anymore if we come, that's the awareness part i guess you respond to a situation when you're aware of it.
0: This is just the beginning for you. I see lots of podcasts in your future. <laughs> this has been so terrific. Thank you. You're so generous with your time and your knowledge and experience in the field. I'm grateful that you are as passionate to share with everybody as you are because we need it, I think. This is my
1: pleasure entirely. And thank you for having me. I've never had somebody enjoy the nerdiness of <laughs> optical fabric science chit-chat as much as you have. So thank you. I've really enjoyed this.
0: Thanks for listening. If you find yourself in the New York City area, you could check out the Parsons School of Design MFA Textiles Graduation Exhibition from today, May 17th to the 21st. You can see more on their Instagram page at Parsons Textiles MFA. P-A-R-S-O-N-S-T-E-X-T-I-L-E-S M-F-A. 76 West is produced by Udi Ehrman and me, Jason Bloodman. Our audio engineer is Matt Temkin. Make sure to check out our other episodes, and if you like what you're hearing, rate us, review us, share us with your friends, and don't forget to like and subscribe so you'll be the first to know when the latest episode drops. And I can't wait for you to hear the next one, where I'm in conversation with the one and only incredible author, Emily St. John Mandel, author of Station Eleven, Sea of Tranquility and Others. See you next time.